When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just like that, final hour is here on the Thursday edition. Coming up in 20 minutes on Hot Mike, Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network, NFL.com. She'll be with us, talk NFL draft, her top prospects, mock draft, and more. Chad, show flying by. And we started by saying, hey, the the sale is, is happening. It's, front office sports is saying it's... It's all but signed. They've got a sign on the $6 billion line for Josh Harris and his ownership group to take ownership of the Washington Commanders from Dan Snyder. But here's Adam Schefter. And I hope it's just because Steve Apostolopoulos wanted me to say his name one more time. But Josh Harris. We got it in, Steve. The group has reached a preliminary agreement to buy the Commanders from Daniel Snyder for $6.05 billion per sources. It is not exclusive. The deal is not signed. And the group, led by Steve Apostolopoulos, still is involved in the process. That was tweeted uh, nearly an hour ago from Shefty. I don't know how to take this news. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty definitive report that it's, it's done. The bid has been accepted. And now... And correct me if I'm wrong. Reached and, a preliminary agreement. And correct me if I'm wrong, though. The but only, it's not exclusive. The, the deal is not signed. The only official bid with ownership approval, meaning like the vetted group, is through Josh Harris. That was reported yesterday. And Bezos was contemplating whether or not he was uh, going to get back in on it or this, not. This is... It just it stinks to high heaven of... Well, you've signed the bid. I haven't signed it yet. And I'm holding out in the last minute to see if Steve Apostolopoulos there you go. is going to give us more money for the team. So this is sort of the last hour. And he's the let's Canadian. Let's see if he's going to up the bidding at all. He's the Canadian uh, billionaire yeah. mogul of something. Right. I mean, this, it's it, – <laughs> I, I don't – I get so annoyed. AJ Perez, by the way, refuted this three weeks ago. I hate how every report now has to be refuted with a half report. Hey, it's a preliminary agreement, guys. It's not completely signed. The ink is not dry yet. And this other guy is also still putting together. And I'm just... What this is... What? What this sounds like is like the Monday when free agency's open but not official. And we've known for three days by the time the new league year begins on that Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern where players are going to sign, and then they actually sign. This feels like that, that time frame before you can actually sign with the team for Josh Harris. Adam Schefter is very, very good, so I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm about to say. But this also is just a look-at-me report. Well, it's also because it's a way to tweet something out that even if it's already done or yeah. in the process of being done, he's not wrong. There's no way he can be wrong in this. 
So well, either it is office. being signed and it's being done, and it's done just like front office sports was saying, and everyone else is re- reported, or it's not done and it goes back to Apostolopoulos, and then Adam Schefter looks like a genius. But either way, he's protected. Because you start with a preliminary agreement is done, but there's still someone else involved in the process. I'm reading the the most recent report now from Front Office Sports, and the way it's worded is very similar. Tentative deal to acquire the Washington Commanders. So, but AJ Perez joined us earlier in the show. If you missed it, you can go back on YouTube. Subscribe while you're there. And uh, on the Outkick channel, AJ said, yeah, it's done. It's just, they've got to sign. They haven't signed it yet. Chad, this goes back to what you said about an hour ago. With Daniel Snyder, the deal's not signed. Yeah, I, I If just, you have someone come over the top and you start the bidding process, you can have two preliminary deals and you can have an, an exclusive negotiation with both. I watched uh, recently this movie Tetris that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Terrific. Highly recommend. And there's a scene in it where this big business guy... They have an agreement and a deal signed, and then he informs them, no, you signed it, I didn't. So it's not done yet because I didn't sign it on my end. We agreed to a deal, and you signed the document, but I haven't yet, so I can go back to someone else. This seems like the exact same storyline. Daniel Snyder is saying, we agreed to something, deal is done, but I haven't signed it yet, so I'm going back to Steve A. up in Manitoba in Canada, and he's going to give me more money now. But in reality, I think this is Adam Schefter just trying to be a part of the story. I really do. I think the deal is going to get done. Salt Lake City is trying to be a part of the Major League Baseball story whenever they expand. Nashville's in the mix for an expansion team. Chad, I believe Portland is another city that is seeking to be a part of the MLB expansion whenever they choose to uh, move past 30. We know Vegas is getting a team, but it's more likely the relocated A's there. The Rays who have won 13 straight games now, tying the, the record for the most wins to begin a season. They're going to be on the move at some point. But Salt Lake wants the expansion team whenever they expand past 30 to 32. Well, it's a new city. I mean, you had Rob Manfred during an interview at the All-Star Game a couple of years ago list cities. And the cities he talked about were Charlotte, Portland, Nashville, Montreal, Montreal right? yeah. Vegas. Oh, and Charlotte too, yeah. I may have added I may have added Portland to that. I know Vegas, Montreal, Nashville, Charlotte were definitely mentioned. Now Salt Lake City would be another contender for a baseball team. Um I I mean I guess it makes sense. You know, you're you're going to be putting it would be a little bit odd to Vegas is definitely the front runner that's going to get one eventually. So you're putting two teams all of a sudden in similar part of the country. With Salt Lake City and Vegas. So, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense as much as any of the other ones. We, They're AAA I, City currently, just like Nashville. Yeah, we had Kurt Schilling on, asked him about Montreal, and he said he does not buy that one bit, that they're vi- a viable market for a return to Major League Baseball. So, I mean, what are the most likely candidates? To me, it's in order right now, Vegas, Nashville. And with this report, I probably throw Salt Lake City into the mix at number three. Not Charlotte. Of the most likely to get one. Not Charlotte. So Salt Lake, uh, proximity is interesting there. And the report, the conversations with the report we're referencing at ESPN.com 
conversations with Major League Baseball through Salt Lake City happen over a year ago about this. About the same time we started to hear rumblings here about the ownership. Yeah, group I mean, it, it would music be, city stars. It'd be interesting because you so, so suddenly have almost like a Mountain West conference of Major League Baseball with the Rockies in Denver, a team in Vegas, a team in Arizona, and now a team north in Salt Lake City, all right there vying for for interest in a part of the country that was desolate for years and years of Major League Baseball until the Rockies were an expansion team in the early '90s. And then shortly after that, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. And then now you're looking and at possibly two more teams going to that, you know, mountain region of the country. And as far as um, as far as market size is concerned, there's I mean, Salt Lake's larger than four or five of the current major league cities. Kansas City, um, San Diego, Milwaukee, and Salt Lake is Cincinnati. larger than San Diego and yeah. Kansas City. That's yeah. interesting. Market, just the media market, I'm saying. It is incredible how when you name a city to a Major League Baseball fan, they immediately shut it down and say, oh, they can't support a Major League Baseball team. And I think, well, Milwaukee does. You know, you look at some markets, and and the response is, well, because they've had a team. They're conditioned to it. They support it because there's a history there. And I think, well, if your game and product is good, and people know Major League Baseball teams – and you go to a thriving market and city, it should work with the right venue. I don't look at it like, well, they've got a history of it, so they're going to – Cincinnati's another one I think about. Well, Cincinnati has a team. Why can't Nashville have a team? Well, Cincinnati's been around since the 1800s. I understand that, the historical aspect of it, but you can't tell me that a Major League Baseball team could not work in Nashville or Vegas or Salt Lake City, as this report states, or another market. If the game is good – if the ownership group is good, if you build a good venue in the right place, it's going to work. I firmly believe that. And, and the reason Tampa it's... doesn't work from a fan base standpoint is because the team plays in a decrepit old indoor stadium in a nice weather city in St. Petersburg. Yeah, they got the stadium. That's really wrong. it. What? Why do you have an indoor stadium in Tampa of all places? That should be at worst a retractable roof, newer venue, right? When it gets really hot. But I mean, and even if you have poor ownership, your franchise is worth over a billion. Yeah. The worst in the league is Miami. They're valued the least, and second to last is uh, Oakland with the A's. But they're still over a billion in value. But is it crazy that a Miami franchise is last in the evaluation from Forbes? That fan base is non-existent. I mean, the state of Florida for baseball, incredible in the talent that state produces, and the year-round opportunities for kids to play the game growing up, and also remarkable because both teams have no fans. It is such a transient population of New York Yankees fans in South Florida Yeah, for both of them. It's yeah, that's right. people who have flocked to South Florida that like anything other than the Rays and the Marlins. And then they even had the captain. With all the Yankees fans there, they had Jeter come in, and that didn't work. No. Marlins aren't leaving, though. I don't think so, but, I mean, it's a miserable experience. I mean, turn on the TV and watch a game in Miami. It's awful. Well, I, It's terrible. And also, by the way, they've won two, two World Series. They've geared up twice and, and won a World Series and then blown the team up and then built it up again. And Madeline. Yeah. I mean, I should tie him in there, too, with what they tried. Chad Warner Brothers Discovery, they are – 
saying they're going to be out of the regional network sports business uh, within the year. They have a 30% stake in Root Sports, and they told Front Office Sports that they, they have three regional sports networks and then Root Sports as well, and they're going to be out. The way of the regional sports network is over. The bubble has burst. What? It's like the dot-com bubble. This is the regional sports TV network has bubble. That bubble has burst now. And if you look at what that affects, I mean, that's NBA, NHL, and MLB. 2024 is Major League Baseball for them yeah. at the final year of their deal. But the transition to now Major League Baseball taking over, as long as they get the blackout rule right, they can really make a huge haul with this if they take everything under the same umbrella. Yeah. So Google owns YouTube, correct? Yes. There's a real opportunity here for YouTube TV to become the main provider of television to a lot of people. I mean, you could take ownership of live sports with NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball in many markets. The same way they went out and bid top dollar for NFL Sunday ticket, where you have to go there to watch those games, you could get a lot of baseball fans or NBA fans or NHL fans going and subscribing to either YouTube TV to a package that includes their team or to specifically watch their team's games through YouTube TV. We've been talking about the streaming wars and the different players that could be involved, and Apple will keep coming up with Major League Baseball because of what they've done with Major League Soccer and putting all the games there. I'd watch out for YouTube. With the backing of Google to take over where the regional sports television bubble has burst. But the regional sports networks, so they sold for, what, $10 billion a few years back? I don't know. I think it was, it was $10 billion, Bally, I'm saying. Yeah. And well, now Bally the, spent a lot and lost a lot. $10 quickly. billion. Uh, and from Murdoch, I believe. And they filed and then, bankruptcy. And then quickly bankrupt. We've got Google and slash YouTube. They're paying the NFL $2 billion a year for that rights package. And, I mean, it's going to be hard to make a profit on that. We, we went through the, the, the pricing earlier this week. But that's the real... So, at what point do you have to get, if you're YouTube and Google, to say, you know what? Everybody else is out. They've been belly up on the money they're spending on the other sports. At what point do you say, you know what? We're going to buy in... And what price does it need to be, Chad, where Major League Baseball just doesn't take it under their umbrella and charge that flat monthly fee or whatever it might be? Or game. Oh, you can get the game a la carte if you want. It's just a lot of work that goes into that and a lot of cost if you take it in-house if you're Major League Baseball. The far better option for them is to get a, a YouTube, Google, to give them but, a ton of money but for all, their but, games. Correct me if I'm wrong. They, you, MLB TV, but... 14 teams right now are underneath that regional sports network umbrella. And then every, every, the other franchises are under the MLB umbrella currently anyway. I don't know. I, I think the, their product is way different to me than like the season package for NHL or, or NBA. Right? Because you well, can... If, if, you want, if you're YouTube and you want everyone to cut the cord... Right, you want everyone to come and, and get their television needs through right, you yeah. and package through you. One way to do that, you're going to lose a lot of money in the beginning, just like they are with the NFL. But go and get live sports rights and make the sports fan that wants to watch their team live come to you. 
So then they're getting rid of their cable package through AT&T or DirecTV or whatever it may be, and they're going to you, and maybe they stick around and like what they see with that, and they get all their television through you. So I, I just – there's an opportunity with the amount of money that Google has oh, I know. in-house to just spend, 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 and take over the market and get people to cut the cord and go to them for all of their live TV needs. Not a streamer. There's, they stream. But it's live streaming and getting channels live through YouTube. It's an opportunity for them. That's all I'm saying. I have no knowledge that they're in the bidding or anything, but if they're doing this with the Sunday ticket, why not go into baseball, hockey, NBA also? Chad, uh, a drunk fan attacked the mascot at the, the Rockies and uh, Cardinals game. Got some, uh, you got Dinger here is the mascot's name. And a drunk fan jumps up on top of the dugout and just tackles him. Now, if I were at this game, I would think that's staged. Yeah, I would think, I would that think that's a bit. It's, a, it's a bit that they, they, I don't, what's really disappointing in that are the three guys that are just drinking and talking to each other while a mascot's getting attacked right in front of them. They have no idea <laughs> but again, but to I, even look no, up no, no. and see it. No, if, if that happens in front of me, I'm thinking it's staged. I'm thinking that that that's staged to be like the mascot's going to get the, the better end of it at the end, and you're going to find out that the guy's the fan of the opposite team or something. It's such odd behavior. Very weird. What do you think uh, the mascot but, did? I to mean, like a that? drunk person to do that. Like drunk people fight because they get into a disagreement. Did he get into a disagreement with the mascot? Yeah, that's what right I'm saying. Before? Like, did he walk by and like mess up his hair or something? Or and spill then he's his like, beer? "That's it. This guy. I'm taking him out on top of the home team dugout <laughs> because of that." <laughs> what a way to go out. Now, to sympathize with this man a little bit. Yeah. Um, mascots are very annoying. They can, they can really be very annoying. They will not leave you alone. Hutton, in our line of work especially, doing remote shows yes. where mascots are involved, I mean, you do everything to just try to appease them and get them to move on. But yes. when they don't move on and keep messing with you and they're not saying anything, no, it's yeah. highly annoying not going to, speak. to adults. And they, they honestly frighten about half the small children out there. Half of them love them. I think the other that, half are frightened. Well, some of them have no choice based on and i know what you're saying i'm not trying to eradicate that, mascots i'm no, just I'm, saying i'm saying like, it's a very annoying thing for the, an adult but like the some of the mascots i think are supposed to be frightening right really have you seen some of these but the goal is to frighten children like if you take a kid to a pelicans game you've seen the pelicans mascot yeah right? well that the thing yeah that's like a it it's like a Stephen King movie I don't come think to that, life. I don't think the goal of that is to make children happy. Well, New Orleans is a little weird <laughs> with stuff like that. They like celebrate, you know, voodoo and things oh. of that nature. So I think the kids in New Orleans probably aren't as easily okay. frightened. Yeah. You well, know, maybe not. If they sacrificed a goat at a young age and poured blood <laughs> over something to bless it, they're probably not frightened by King Baby. Or yeah. whatever that thing I, is for the New Orleans Pelicans. They, uh, they left the Ouija board to go to the basketball yeah. game. In general, though, mascots are just annoying as hell. I agree. To 98% of the population, some kids love it, and other kids are frightened by it and the want, only, want it to get away. The only mascot event I'm signing up for is the old dunk contest, the yeah. NBA dunk contest. But even as a kid, did you ever like the mascots? No, at the dunk contest, that was it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. That was it. Coming up, Cynthia Freeland. We talked... NFL draft, top prospects, and who she likes for certain teams based on the system and what the numbers tell her. That's next on Hot Mind.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Chad, when's the last time you used a context-based data model? Um, maybe like when searching for a place to rent on the road. Oh, really? Is that, a, is that what you do? I, I is that it, what the Airbnbs and via, Verbos of the world do? I wouldn't know if I've ever used one. Context-based? A context-based data model. That's what Cynthia Freeland uses on this. I like when anything uh, that you search online gives you like almost – I look at it like if you're a streamer, you know, you watch a show and it kicks you to another show that's like it, and it gives you the options that are like that show. This is sort of the same thing. Okay. So yeah, I used it uh, last night on Netflix. Well, Cynthia knows this way better than I do. Uh, a little bit better than we do. Uh, Just yeah, slightly better. For sure. Uh, Cynthia Freeland being from very sarcastic. NFL Network joins us as we dive into the NFL draft. Cynthia, great to have you back on. Thank you for the time. And uh, I'm eager to dive in on the quarterbacks based on the, the analytical evaluation of this. Um, but hopefully we don't, you know, we don't come across as stupid whenever I'm mentioning all these models. No, that was actually perfect. You oh, use Chad, it well on recommendation algorithms. You actually, with Twitter, which is, I guess, now X, right? Like new name for Twitter. But you use it all the time. You actually have context-based data models that are, they're all around you. You can't escape them. Okay, uh, aside from... You underestimated my smarts. Uh, that's no, no, what no, I'm I, hearing from I know, Cynthia. That's, that's Let's just point that you, out first. That's why I yeah. asked you and you just didn't assume that right. uh, you hadn't used one. Um, aside from the analytical evaluation and then the, the comps for the quarterbacks, do you have a favorite quarterback of this class? Because everyone seems to have a different answer or a different solution for the top two And teams. is the answer what your favorite quarterback is based on the comp, I guess, would be the... The question, right? That you like this quarterback more Regardless than the other team. So now you like the, this quarterback in the draft. You know, I think like when it comes to my favorite one, it's probably like a personality thing, right? Like which one did I think was like very interesting or whatever when I had a chance to speak to them. So I feel like I kind of like, I. it sounds really strange, but I think like, you know, Tanner McKee from Stanford, like I think he could have like, like, I don't, I don't necessarily... I'm not advocating taking him in the top 10 picks. I'm not advocating taking him in the first round. I'm saying a team will be getting a good solid, like this guy could be a starter for some games, but is it feels he felt like Trevor Simeon to me where like, he's just going to last for a really long time and be one of those backups that everybody is like, wow, this is a very useful person. So maybe that's not like the sexiest answer, but I think he's a, like maybe been underrated and a bit more overlooked, but as for like the top two, as the the film I enjoyed watching the most, and this is saying a lot because I'm from the state of Michigan, but CJ Stroud's film was the most fun for me to watch. And I find him to be the one who I think in terms of at the next level will have the opportunity to really succeed. I feel he's the safest pick. So I enjoyed his film a lot. For what you know with what the numbers are are telling you, does Frank Reich's offense make sense for him in Carolina? It, to me, it's a better fit for a couple of reasons. Better fit than Bryce Young, right? I, I do, let me be clear. 
I think Bryce Young goes number one. I think that is what will happen. But in terms of what I believe, I think there's a couple of things about CJ Stroud in this situation that make him a little bit a better fit in terms of who will win more in this one particular season. One, you have to remember that the NFC South right now is very achievable. It's not the hardest division in all of football by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we don't even know who the quarterbacks necessarily are. I mean, we know one of them, but eh, the rest are all up for grabs, it seems. So to me, when I'm looking at this and I look at CJ Stroud's ability to execute play action quicker with Deuce Staley there, of course, he came from the Lions this past season, formerly of the Eagles, et cetera. I think that play action, which is one thing that I've seen be the kind of the key to unlocking these newer quarterbacks. And I say newer because Trevor Lawrence season two was more impactful than season one as soon as they figured out play action. And I think CJ Stroud has the best chance of doing that in Carolina in year one. Yeah, and your article up right now um, uh, at NFL.com with the the comps of these quarterbacks, it's fascinating. And I think some of them, if you're a fan of the quarterback, you may not be that excited when you see some of the comps. But C.J. Stroud, who we're talking about now, Cynthia, you've got the pro comparison is Dak Prescott and Jared Goff. I say those two quarterbacks' names, I don't think of a lot of similarities. But when you put the two together, and C.J. Stroud specifically – what traits does he embody from what you've seen of both of those quarterbacks and how do you get to that combination? So a couple of things I've added to my data-based models, my contextual models this year are a lot of physics dynamics about their bodies. So one thing that CJ Stroud has in common with Dak Prescott is what happens when the play breaks down and they have to run and the velocity that they're able to get to, meaning the speed in the direction at a specific amount in time, right? So CJ Stroud has some Dak Prescott like mobility notes on his, once he, you know, he's standing in the pocket and then he either breaks contain or anything with the running game happens. And the thing about Dak Prescott that people forget was he wasn't asked to throw a pass outside the numbers or deep outside the numbers for quite some time, which meant when the Cowboys were really integrating him into their system, they were really mindful of let's make the easy passes first. And then let's go a little bit more complex and then a little bit more complex. And then as far as Jared Goff's concerned in the pocket in college, what you saw from Jared Goff was a steady increase in his accuracy at all levels of the game and on second reads. Now, third reads, we won't get into that because that's quarterbacks don't use third reads in college very often, but CJ Stroud on second reads has become increasingly accurate on all levels. And that's kind of like what Jared Goff did when he was, when he was in college at Berkeley. And you got to remember his integration when play action worked for both of them. I'm just going to keep saying play action until somebody listens to me. <laughs> well, and it's, it's so now that I know you're, you're looking at body types with these quarterbacks, it makes a ton of sense. So Bryce Young to a tongue of Iloa, not just because they're Alabama quarterbacks, but their size and stature, that makes a ton of sense. But Teddy Bridgewater, Bryce Young, give us the connection between those two quarterbacks and their styles. So obviously Louisville is, there really is nothing that compares to the level of competition Alabama quarterbacks face. It just, it is what it is. So the the level of competition adjusted. So that's always a, 
an interesting calculation you have to do in projection. But I will say that part of the mobility, Teddy Bridgewater has a really interesting way of shifting direction. So his change of direction, he barely loses any speed. Now, if I try to go from the left to the right or vice versa, like I'm losing all of my speed and starting over again, but Teddy doesn't. And that is actually what much of the similarity is. So that lateral motion, that ability side to side, Jalen Hurts has another Alabama quarterback, has that similar type of lateral mobility that is becoming increasingly useful because remember in college, they rarely take snaps from under center and they rarely, it's just a different sort of thing, right? And they, and they don't see a lot of zone. So both of those things are, well, if you've got lateral mobility and now you see zone, maybe you have a better chance of escaping the zone and earning more positive yardage than someone who's like, is this zone? What am I looking at? And just throws into traffic. Cynthia Freeland with us on hot mic across the outkick network. Uh, Great job uh, breaking down the quarterbacks available now at NFL.com. Cynthia, I'm curious, and I have two, two takeaways from uh, what you wrote about Anthony Richardson. Number one, uh, very small sample size uh, with the numbers what we saw in college. And number two, uh, thank you for not in the comps just saying Cam Newton, because that's all anyone says. Uh, you went with the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback and then the former one with Wentz and Hurts. What do you make of Richardson, and how do you adjust for the very small playing time we saw compared to the other quarterbacks. Well, the Wentz competition, you got to remember back in North Dakota state, Wentz had a lot of rushing yards, like over a thousand. And part of the Anthony Richardson comp there is, you know, you try to say, what is someone's tendency when pressure's coming in their face, right? Like, well, they run and that's kind of what both of them did. And that was a similarity there. And by the way, this is not a mean comp. People think I'm being mean. Carson Wentz at one point, we were talking about him as a potential MVP oh, yeah. candidate. So yeah. like people think it's mean. I'm like, I'm, it's not mean. There's nothing no, mean we don't, about that. No, we don't that. take it that way either. It's the style of play and what, what matches uh, I think you're being very mean, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not Carson hurt. Wentz was good <laughs> for a time. Yeah, not, not, not so much right now, but he was definitely a good quarterback. Yeah, and the the raw ability and skills. I mean, he it, there was a reason he went as high in the draft as he did. It's not like we're talking about someone who people are like, you're so mean. I'm like, mean, <laughs> but whatever, right? Mean is not a, usually the word that's described to me. But long story short about that one, when you, when you look at the Jalen Hurts, it's tendencies. It's what happens when pressure comes at you because you're not going to be in a clean pocket. Are you able to have that escapability? The escapability like Jalen Hurts, that's where the comfort Anthony Richardson comes in. Not necessarily, like Cam Newton would truck through people. Cam Newton was the same size as the defensive end, if not bigger. And he actually... He wouldn't go, he wouldn't bounce off, recoil, and then move around, right? He would just keep going straight through people. It's a very different running style and a very different, like if you did like a, like you did like video game, look at it where it's just like little, like, like lines everywhere. It cams would be far more straight than what you've seen from Anthony Richardson, who make things happen with like second, third, fourth efforts. Like this guy is just like, like spring balling off of people. He's an incredible athlete and, and not in the, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's Cam Newton. You mentioned it, personally enjoying your football chat with Tanner McKee as a quarterback. Did you have a chance to meet with Will Levis at all? You know, very briefly. I didn't get a chance to talk to him as long as I would have liked. Um, you know, it's just the, the way the, you know, the combine, that thing's crazy. But, you know, it's it's just the way it goes. I I didn't. I I have. I would like to speak to him more before I understand anything about him. But I've seen, like, he seems pretty funny to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I, look, I asked because he's the one guy of the quarterbacks that you start to get these reports that some teams are turned off by his personality, that he's a little odd, right, when, when they get to know him a little bit. Um, are you being mean when you compare him to Sam Darnold? if you weren't being mean about the Carson Wentz comparison and what is it about Will Levis and Sam Darnold that you see that are, that are, that are like each other. Sam Darnold, even in his jets career, like before he got shipped off to Carolina, even the guy has a great deep ball. And if you remember in the Todd Bowles era of the jets, like Sam Darnold was like, he was throwing balls off his back foot as like, 400 pound men were like sandwiching him. It wasn't a great O-line situation that he fell into. And that first season, he had a lot of great results. So to me, it's the deep ball, it's the arm strength, but also the the interesting decision-making, right? In college, Sam Darnold at USC didn't get dinged for that. Same as Will Levis. There's, I mean, he, he, he threw a bunch of picks, but it's a different sort of, it was a different sort of look like that is a strong arm. That is something that if it's harnessed and, and correctly used, great. And he didn't have a ton of talent around him, which is why he also gets compared to Jay Cutler. And I, I know Tennessee, like I love Vanderbilt. It's a wonderful academic school, but I don't think we're sitting here saying that they're producing the best wide receivers in the league year in and year out. That's right. So you know, some, of, some of that is, is similar, right? So like really strong arm, the footwork. It was actually really interesting. If you were to go back and watch Jay Cutler in college and then watch the Will Levis footwork and their center of gravity is actually quite similar. So that it just, it's a good, you know, no one ever said Jay Cutler didn't have a huge arm, you know, like you never heard that. So that was, that's kind of how they compare. And I think that's very nice. These people have had 10 year or more careers. It's not like I'm comparing them to people we don't even remember. I, I, I like the note on the, the miles per hour. For Will Levis, which was 58 miles per hour. Um, in a game. In a game, right. No one cares about how fast you throw without your pads on. Right. Like, I understand that, I think, you know, Dorian Thompson Roberts, he, the guy from uh, from out here in UCLA, he threw harder at the combine. And so did Josh Allen. But you know what? Josh Allen throws that hard in a game. DTR has not thrown that hard in a game. And I care way more about what happens when you put pads on than uh, it's fun. Go play exhibition games, but, you know. In I find in your part of the article also, but analysis of Hendon Hooker based on his offense in college and how that translates the NFL has been interesting to read different opinions on that. I do love the team fit that you have in your analysis with Hendon Hooker being the Atlanta Falcons. I think that's probably unlikely to happen, but what is it you like about Hendon Hooker and that fit possibly with the Falcons and what Arthur Smith wants to do? Well, Arthur Smith, I will say when it comes to creating, and you guys know this better than most, when it comes to figuring out, again, I will keep saying play action until I'm blue in the face. Um, but when it comes to figuring out like really reliable play action and like figuring out the right, how many people do you need to stretch the field? Because Atlanta only, I mean, they're they're down some receivers, right? So yes. they've been able to masterfully figure out for Daryl Patterson when a lot of people don't understand his value, right? So pairing that together and the opportunity to not, have to rely on every single pass being some crazy thing to Jalen Hyatt what looks just absolutely highlight worthy. And it being like, it's not sexy, but sometimes getting a first down is absolutely the sexiest thing that can happen. And that's where the type of offense that Arthur Smith created for a Ryan Tannehill could work really well for a Hendon hooker, especially given the fact that, like we said, the NFC South is totally achievable. But I do think by the way, 
The Falcons have been mighty quiet. I feel like we haven't heard for a team that claims Desmond Ritter as their starter. They've been real, real, real silent in this whole, like maybe they're just waiting to see how it all pans out. Cynthia, I like your point about Cordero Patterson. Hutton, I forget who we were talking to, but they were talking about Arthur Smith being the first coach in the NFL where Cordero Patterson went to multiple places and everyone was trying to figure out what to do with this jumbo athlete. And it was Arthur Smith who said, oh, you mean that running back over there? Yeah, just call him a running back. Yeah, the, the, that's that guy, he's a running back. And then that's the way they utilized him more, and he had very successful with that, with that diagnosis of his skill set. Cynthia, uh, of the, the non-quarterbacks, let's, do you have great fit or your favorite fits based on uh, the work and the, 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 the numbers that you've analyzed for players in the first round for teams that maybe have an open position or maybe based on the team's analytics at a certain position, they need to pick up this guy. Yeah. So there's a couple, the first one that comes to mind, you can rip up my mock draft round two because there's been trades since then. Actually, Devin Witherspoon to the lions would be a really nice fit. Obviously they just got rid of Jeff Okuda, sending him to the Falcons for a fifth round pick, which is wild to me, but yeah. uh, they need to figure out that secondary. The Lions could use like a lot more defensive players. They could, you know, of their 53-man roster, they could probably handle like most of them being defensive <laughs> players. I think the Panthers are still running on them somewhere in a parallel universe. Um, but I think that one would be a great fit. Witherspoon, to me, is the most well-rounded best corner in this entire draft. And his skills really translate to the fast track that the Lions play on and also the NFC North not as competitive as some of the other divisions as well. So I think that would give him the chance to really have the game open up. He could see it better and learn the speed of the game in a much better way against those offenses, as opposed to some of the other places. Like if he ends up in any AFC team, like that's good luck. Like that's way harder for, for any corner. So I, I really like that one. I also think that really it's Jackson Smith and Jigba to me is the, the one wide receiver in this, in this draft class that I feel like, we'll be talking about in 10 seasons and he has played mostly in the slot, which is a, people say that like in the pejorative, but that's actually like a very important part of most people's teams. So I just really hope he ends up on a team that doesn't need him to be like their, you know, number one outside guy. Like, I mean, it would be, I can't even imagine what would happen if like he ended up in Seattle in the slot. Yeesh. That could be fun to watch. Like, Good luck stopping that team. But, you know, I, I really hope he finds a place where he can be the slot receiver and, like, be useful in the slot, not just, like, good in the slot when he needs to be, but, like, useful there. And I think people forget, like, Devontae Adams lines up and does most of his damage in the slot, too. This isn't, like, this isn't a knock on someone to say they're a slot receiver or a slot corner or whatever. And then I'll give you one more just okay. because, you know, whatever. The Packers need to go out and get one of these tight ends. I would think Michael Mayer makes a little bit more sense because their O-line isn't that great, but they could go with Dalton Kincaid, who's more of a pass catcher and less of a blocker. But Mayer, to me, that's the most complete tight end in this draft. This could be the first draft in a, as long as I can remember where we have more tight ends go than wide receivers in the first round. I would love that. That would be really fun for me. But at the end of the day, the, the please, Packers, like if you're not going to draft a wide receiver, at least, just draft a pass catcher and call it a freaking day. <laughs> Jackson Smith and Jigba, to me, just feels like one of the players that will be, and not based on play in the league, but the night that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went to the Kansas City Chiefs, it's like, oh, of course. They get that it, guy. It feels you know? like the perfect fit yeah, when the like, pick is because made. Because it doesn't feel like it's a great wide receiver draft, and I'm not saying nope. he falls that far like Edwards-Hilaire nope. did, but 
I mean, I it, it, he'll go to a team and he will help that team win and win a lot. I'm with you. Uh, yes. Like that's like to me, that's the safest wide receiver by a long shot in this entire in this entire class. Like there's a lot of it's interesting. Like, and I even went to Boston College. So like I obviously like I want Zay Flowers to do well in part because he has like 13 siblings. It's a great story. And yeah. not, not to say I don't like Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba story, but you know, BC, we don't, we don't, we don't have a lot of nice things, right? We don't, we only have a few. So at the at the end of the day, I'd really like to see that. But ultimately, the one I feel safest about and the one who the math bears out that that has the highest probability for success is Smith and Jigba. How many more mock Still hanging on to Matt have? Ryan at BC, yeah, by Matt the way. Ryan. That's it, Cynthia. Yeah. So you got to hang on to Matt Ryan. Or Brable you son. You've got that, too. You can point to that. I, I mean, we've got a few. Harold Landry. We've, yeah. We, listen, yeah. We've, we've put out, like, it's just like a little sprinkling here and there. Like, just like some salt, right? Let's but when you bit. produce someone, it's pretty elite, which is nice, right? Like, yeah. I feel like they're really good yeah. when you get someone going. Hey, uh, yeah. how many mock drafts do you have left before you actually get to analyze and, and discuss the first round? I think just one okay. more. I kind of hate mock drafts. I'm going to be honest with you. The, the only reason I don't like mock drafts is because there's always like some sort of lag between something ha- when you turn it into your editor and something happening. Yeah. So then you're like constantly sort of sort of editing it in this weird way. And it's just like, it, like I love the exercise of it. And I love like going through and figuring it out. And then sometimes people forget that I do it a different way. Because I'll tell you, I, I said it on here. I think Bryce Young goes number one. Do I think he needs to? No, I, I would. I think CJ Stroud's a better fit. But do what, what do I, if I were a reporter? No, I I'd say everyone I'm talking to says it's Bryce Young. So, you know, pe- people forget that. <laughs> Who knows what they do? I think it's going to be crazy. I think that we, we think we have it figured out and there's going to be some crazy trades, but there's going to be a team like Seattle, Tennessee, Atlanta, um, Las Vegas, where we feel like they have their quarterback and then they make a move and draft one of these guys. So yeah, no, I think I think we've seen too many too many teams who need a quarterback have been just a little too quiet. Yep. Cynthia, always great. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. Yeah, Appreciate thank you. you for the time as always, and hopefully you'll join again soon. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Cynthia Freeland there, uh, NFL Network. Love her work in NFL.com really, really good. as well. Yes. Chad, uh, also really good Game of Thrones. Now, the prequel. It's hard to live up to Game of Thrones, but HBO's running it back with another spinoff. That's next on Hotline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hot mic rolls on across the Outkick Network. Game of Thrones, well, we've seen House of the Dragon, and now HBO, Chad, they've ordered more, more Game of Thrones, but this one's not going to tie into the books. No, so... Or it will, but it's not a book. This doesn't shock you, I'm sure, Hutton, but I have not read the extensive works of George R.R. Martin, No, and I'm more of a TV follower. I have not read one word of George R.R. Martin. I enjoy the shows. 
This so the next they've got House of the Dragon now, which is a prequel, which is I think two hundred years before the time of of Game of Thrones. That's right. Yeah. Now this next show, which is going to focus on Dunk and Egg, which to me reads like a buddy cop type uh, action drama comedy series that's focusing on these these two characters. It's a one hundred years prequel of the events of Game of Thrones. Okay. I think it's a real missed opportunity sequentially because you have to break open a whole universe of Game of Thrones content if you're if you're Warner HBO right now because you have the rights to it, much like Star Wars or Marvel. But if I'm going Game of Thrones, huge hit, then I go prequel, which was also a huge hit, House of the Dragon, which I enjoyed the first season. Now you got to go sequel. You want to bounce back and forth. The next project should have been Snow, which is the long-rumored Jon Snow sequel to his to life and adventures after yep. the events of Game of Thrones. That, to me, is what gets the excitement meter really pumping. From House of the Dragon prequel to sequel of Game of Thrones next. Then if you want to go back to Dunkin' Egg 100 years before, <laughs> you go prequel. I don't like going Game of Thrones prequel, prequel, possible sequel after the two prequels. Yeah, then I hope I made my, my, my no, that made makes sense. sense. Yeah. It makes sense. But it makes go, sense to people who have seen Game of Thrones. Next. Go sequel next. But even if you haven't seen it, you don't have to see it to understand what I'm saying. Huge hit, prequel, then sequel to the huge well, hit. Now but, back to the prequel. But the, Not huge hit, prequel, prequel. Yeah, but the prequel, correct me if I'm wrong, that the original House of the Dragon, that was a book, right? That was through the series that they I, I went think, back to. I think like, these, or it was it was like a lineage I, of whatever we watched. Because for Game of the Thrones. last season wasn't even told by George R. R. Martin, I'm not really sure. But <laughs> who's writing what now? But this one is definitely not. Though th- I think this one is his characters. Duncan characters, a. but there's nothing like they can make this whatever I, they want. I, I think it's in the book somewhere, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, he, George R. R. Martin's still trying to finish the Game of Thrones book, right? But it's already done. It's already been told. He allowed that to Do happen. Do it while you're alive. We're back at it tomorrow to wrap up the week. Hot mic across the Outkick Network.